Before we jump into this episode, a disclaimer. Some of what I say may come off a little bit harsh or misinformed, but it's part of the process I'm going through to better understand this specific topic. It's also a revisit, and I'll probably repeat that in the beginning of the episode. So that being said, enjoy the show. Welcome to PBE Daily Early Mornings, a late night podcast. My name is Point Blank Yvombi. Thanks for taking the time to listen to yet another episode. I took a bit of a hiatus from the last recording because let's just say outside of the current global uh, frightened situation with health, I've been doing a lot of washing my hands. I hope you're doing the same out there, making sure I'm keeping myself warm, making sure I'm keeping myself healthy. And also I've been keeping myself rather busy. Unfortunately, for the weekend I had last, I was able to be productive for a couple of hours. And then I think I needed a creative break. So a lot of what I needed to complete thereafter was affected as a result. And I, I for one, do not like forcing creativity to move in the direction I believe it should because sometimes it just leads to things going completely sideways. It's unfair to not only my clients, but also to myself to try force a method of thinking to come to life. And as much as it doesn't work to corporate greed or to corporate successes for me to rush things, I think at the end of the day, I'm better for it. And I have to admit, I'm rather grateful for the fact that I still am able to learn from different experiences that I've been having the last couple of days and the last couple of months. And especially since the birth of this podcast, and we're drawing closer and closer to the first anniversary of this to make it to one year of, of podcasting. And I'm, I think I'm actually happy with the end results of what I've been finding. And here's the crazy thing and what actually led to this episode, the kind of information that has been coming to the fore as far as the kind of books I've been coming across and me enjoying how I could have a a Windows software that actually reads the book out to me and I can keep on working and actually consuming that. There's so many books I've been given and there's so many books that I've come across and downloaded that I, I want to really jump in on the deep end and really discover. And one of them was the one that actually kind of informed this episode. And this particular book was, I never really expected to actually come across it, but when I did, it, it led me to revisit another idea that I was really debating initially. Like I remember the the first time I spoke on what I'm about to touch on right now. And the trippy thing was I was really concerned about how I'd actually portray the story. And this book is called Imperial Reckoning. And it's basically a, a guide going through the first like 20 plus years before independence. I'm putting it this way. The book covers the 1940s and 50s of Kenya during uh, the colonial, like, trying to take over territory in Kenya and how to actually make settlements for those who came from Europe, hoping to actually make Kenya their home after the Second World War. Now, of course, whatever happened during the Second World War in Europe kind of heavily affected uh, people in Africa. But initially, when I think about this situation, there's, there's some information that kind of, it's harsh, because in episode 123 of this podcast, which goes by the same title, only difference on that podcast and this podcast is the statement still works. Because in that episode, I talked about the mind to colonize. I think I think 
of yourself in the perspective of the white person is about to go into territory. And now I'm going to keep the same title and I want you to think of this statement in this angle. Same sentence, the mind to colonize, but now from the perspective of the African who was being controlled by a doctrine and system that came from abroad. Sentence still works, but the sentiment is rather different, if you catch my drift. And when I started reading the book uh, of the reckoning, the thing that started striking from the jump is it also came informed with an experience I had during my time out over the weekend. It was a conversation with my, one of my favorite peoples out here, which is the Boom Bap Click. And these guys are guys who not only do they work hard, they party hard also, but it's always objective and they always push themselves to better themselves. And I'm so grateful that I get to know this collective of people because just by the token of how they think and how they move, they've actually better improved my existence as far as entertainment goes. They've granted me an opportunity to better myself, not only with my skills as, as, a, as a rapper and entertainer, but from the conversation we had this last weekend, it truly told me, even as passionate as we got in the conversation, it truly told me that there's a reason these gentlemen and ladies are in my life at this moment. And I feel it's going to better what I am and the intentions I have. And this book, some of the information I got from it, I spoke about some of the things I've learned in my last couple of months of podcasting, or on both podcasts actually. And as we spoke, certain passions would actually be heightened and not only from my perspective but from the perspective of the guys I was talking to and it became rather apparent that we we are still very freshly affected by the ills of not only colonialism but the early stages of independence and and trying to understand how it could be a country that stands on its own two feet and the painful thing about the conversation was it wasn't as easy to be able to hear each other out because we all came from different conclusions that we had drawn for that from ourselves. And as we are talking to each other, we do want to stomp that which is our opinion of how we see the world. But the beautiful thing is at the end of the conversation, we were still able to maintain a mutual respect, which means we all get that there's so much we don't know about ourselves. And it made me start revisiting the idea of how I've been trying to tackle the best way to deal with the trauma, and I, and I do believe it's a trauma. There's a trauma that exists in the continent and also I think in the first world in regards to that which was done and the little of it that is actually revealed. And sometimes I debate, is it important for me to highlight the things that would be easily sensationalized in regards to trying to trigger the world to see things in certain ways? But my aim with everything I do, even with the different random topics and musings I say in PBE Daily, is not to lead us to try and stray from the fact that these are truths that have existed and we should grow past them. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not using the information to try to get you to be angry or to try to get you to justify an angle of rage that doesn't lead to unifying each and every one of us. That's never the case. I try as much as possible to avoid getting to that position. But in order to get there, as is the experience I've been having with 1513, my other podcast on Afripods, is we have to describe the signs of the time. We have to first accept or come to terms with what 
led to our current situation. And I won't lie, the book that I mentioned earlier, listening to the book as it's being read to me by the, by the, by the app, it's kind of hard sometimes to not have your feelings get heightened. And I put it to you this way. One description they give in the book is of the kind of camps that were created in Nairobi to control the communities of the lands that have been taken. And when you hear the stories of how the Langata and Bakasi and central province areas, the treating of the people of these regions and the kind of punishment they would go through, it's really, really harsh. And it's painful to even admit and to even say out loud. I mean, I never really expected to find rage in such stories, but it was unfair. Put it to you this way. In episode 123, I talked about how it would be a person in a country that is foreign being educated about what they're doing in their colonial expansion. The argument given to the populace so that the populace could support the mission of colonial expansion was where winning hearts and minds by expanding and giving them religion and education to get them to have the civilization experience of the British Empire. That's how you sell it to the populace because taxpayers' money in the UK was what was being used to create the colonies in Africa, here at home. Now, the children of lords were the guys who were actually trained to, by the time they were reaching the age of 20, to be flown to Africa or different territories including Kenya so that they could actually control certain territories. And in those controls of those territories that they have been given as colonial bases, they would take natives of the land and educate them in Christendom and the education system of the UK. And after that, you'd make some of them become lower powers. In a previous episode, I talked about how you had lords and overlords based on a feudalistic system. And the feudalistic system is we have what this guy at the top and this guy at the top has vast territories he gives certain people beneath him the authority to actually control those lands and then under that person they give even more powers so they give even even like slightly lesser powers but they give powers to those people so that they could tax the people and from taxing the people the power comes to the first the the, the second in command then it gets to the guy at the top then it goes it makes its way to the uk that's borderline a vague explanation of the feudalistic system that existed here now the mention of characters like chiefs and sub-chiefs in accordance to uh, actually it's chiefs, senior chiefs no, senior chiefs, chiefs, sub-chiefs I'm still going through the book so some of this may be vague as hell so I'll try find a way to better quantify this information so as you think about these particular power structures now these individuals, once they have their foothold in power the native who was actually trained to see things their way, some of them were actually beaten into submission and then ordered to join the fray as far as becoming home guards, right? When you take these individuals and then you put them in native land and then they have to go punish, beat members of their own communities. And sometimes they move to other areas like cow uh, soldiers from Tanganyika were brought from Tanganyika to come to Central Province to actually commit the for lack of a better phrase, to commit the war crimes they committed to try and toe the line as people are trying to be reformed and um, also brainwashed for the purpose of colonialism. And it was during a period when, in the 1950s, and I didn't even know it was this long a period that this was happening, so bear with me. 
the Mau Mau was happening from like the 50s all the way up to the 60s and the different individuals were taken as collaborators and becoming home guards and the senior chiefs who got assassinated by the members of the Mau Mau and these particular wars and here's here's a small sliver of a caveat that's actually mentioned in the book i don't know how factual it is but it's alleged in this book that king's african rifle soldiers who came back home after the second world war was over understood that i know these men have taken our lands and they've taken our territories they've taken what is ours but with them in authority since we both fought in these different places in Europe, when we come back, we're supposed to be given like reparations for the war we fought together because we were both soldiers amongst different ranks, of course, based on class, but we we both fought. So when we come back home, we should be able to get a degree of our land back. So I wouldn't be surprised if some of the soldiers who came back from the who were members of the King's African Rifles, I wouldn't be shocked if some of them were hoping to get the portions of land of their motherland as reparations for the war. And they didn't get that. Yet they're white counterparts in the army ended up becoming the guys who were landowners and then they completely shift and go about turn and start treating them the same way they were treating them before the war even happened but the experience of the soldiers is different because you actually got to see how they could be courageous and cowardice in times of war so thus they go into the forest and then the mau mau oath was taken and all that that war period it was borderline a decade plus and the kind of punishment that was actually being given to communities who were considered enablers of the the mau mau and how being a member of the mau mau was so dangerous and so threatening and then add that to how the doctrine has led them to having war crimes like i know i've been saying the word war crime over and over again let's put it this way the camps that were created to host the people of central province whose lands were taken away can only be compared to the union powers of world war ii's gulags and when i say union powers this is what i mean do not be mistaken in understanding this particular fact yes nazi germany had death camps Yes, they held people hostage and took people's lands away and, to, and took people's wealth away and treated them like imprisoned peoples and actually used them as uh, experimental guinea pigs. Same thing happened in Russia. Same thing happened in Haiti because of America. Same thing happened in Kenya and many other British uh, territories in Africa. Every person's hand was soiled. In that entire war period yes you say you're granting one side of the world freedoms but you're painting the image of you being this perfect person but on the ground it's completely different and i had to do like a and i'm yet to finish this book i think i'm on the eighth chapter now i had to do some internal like revisiting of certain things because i'll put it this way I've said it once and I'll say it again. Thank heavens for the internet because it gave access to information which I never thought I'd actually come close to even seeing or being privy to. Because let's be honest, there is a list of books of Kenyan history which, which have been banned from publication or from circulation locally. Some of these authors, it's alleged, have decided to make their books go public in order to get the public to see things for what they actually are. And disinformation has always been used as a weapon and when you come to a world where the internet exists and again i paraphrase the statement by angeli kijo 
the biggest mistake Europe did was give Africa the internet and they can't take it back. When I started coming across these books, I started revisiting my teen life. Like, first of all, the education system that was created in 1985, the year of my birth, 844, was to make a staff to take over the country as far as industrial building of the country. Now, after that, I realized there were certain um, like uh, co-curricular activities that I'd like to be a part of. And I've always liked paramilitary type things because growing up Seventh-day Adventist, there's this paramilitary organization that exists within the SDA church called the Pathfinders. And if you've ever seen a kid in a white shirt and a green sash and green hat and green trousers with a yellow, the yellow scarf, that's a Pathfinder. And it was basically finding a path Find, helping others find their path to Christ. So it was a religious type Boy Scout uh, endeavor, right? And when I left uh, high school, actually when I was in high school, I, I wasn't as active in church, but I still missed the paramilitary upbringing of, of having rules to follow and having words to swear by and stuff like that. I never got to be a Boy Scout for some reason. Uh, being a member of the Scouts just felt like it was too much of a pressure to actually deal with. And there was there was really not much money to buy buy the uniforms at the time. So in my case, thank heavens that the SDA church has had Pathfinder. So since it's a church thing, mom and pop would gladly make me my uniform. And thank God my mom was a tailor, so she'd make the uniforms I'd wear. And I think most of my primary life, my, my mom made the shorts that we wore and the shirts that we wore to school. So I think we kept it in the family. Thank God for mom for that. And when I got to high school, the paramilitary organization I came across was called the St. John Ambulance Brigade. And the St. John Ambulance Brigade is basically, if you've seen the St. John Ambulance uh, uh, first aiders and, and all that in high school, I believe, and I may be wrong, uh, the patron of the St. John Ambulance Brigade is the Queen of England, I think. I'm not, I, don't, I may be mistaken because of the sovereignty of the, sovereignty of the country, but I think the patron of... The St. John Ambulance Brigade is the Queen of England because I remember entering one of the offices of one of the heads of the St. John Ambulance uh, Brigade and a photograph, a black and white photograph of the Queen of England with, uh, I think it was a cape that had the St. John Ambulance star with the lions and the, and the horses on it. And you think about these things and so basically it means my teen life and my childhood had a great hint of British... Uh, upbringing and hints of American upbringing as well because the SDA church, the patron of the the matriarch who made the SDA church is, is American so it, it comes and goes in different waves but those are the things that now build my childhood all the way to my teens. Now when I left high school and started finding hip-hop music and finding my path to hip-hop music the guys who were the force of nature were Kalamashaka and Kalamashaka had this group called Mau Mau. Now, when I heard of Mau Mau, I only thought about like, well, you know, you, you saw glimpses of historical events as far as this rebel army that was trying to fight for freedom and blah, blah, blah. And that was, you'd only see it on Kenyatta Day, which is now um, Mashuja Day, I believe. And these, these moments when you'd see glimpses of what the Mau Mau was, and you'd hear certain phrases being said with the Mau Mau rappers, but you don't, you don't really fully have a grasp of what it was until this book that I'm reading in 2020 is when I'm hearing about what the Mau Mau actually went through. I don't know if I said it before, but let me say it now. 
Other members of the King's African Rifles wanted to join the Mau Mau, not just members of one community, but the community said, for us, we have to do it as a community. You guys can form your own movements on your side, but for us, this is this is deeper for us. It's not just because we were soldiers together. This is more intense for us. You can collaborate with us in different ways. Maybe you could help us move our mission forward. But for us, this is what we're going for. So now I better understand that. Some of the studios that they actually recorded music as far as Ukoflani Momao. And Ukoflani is the is the Mombasa wing of the Momao camp. So Ukoflani was Mombasa and Maumau was the Nairobi wing. And when Maumau became like the movement of rap, and then I came across now the British Council's WAPI and words and pictures was an event where we actually encouraged people to speak their minds and speak to their truths. Now remember, I joined the movement of words and pictures. I was one of the board members and I was in my early 20s. I think I was 21, 22 at the time. I was the youngest member of the board at that time. And here's the crazy thing. We were at the British Council grounds, which is basically British territory, with Ukoflani Mau Mau speaking about how we are moving forward past colonialism and discussing colonialism, but it's happening technically on British soil. Now, it feels like an oxymoron in it of itself. I've made business trades with the guys for, like by being paid to host some of the events for British Council, I've made money from the Queen, basically. And when I look at that stuff, it doesn't feel like I've been flawed in my logic. It doesn't feel like I've betrayed that which is my cause. And sometimes I'd, li I'd literally say it in passing, like, well, this is just my way of making sure I get my reparations as I go forward. And I don't say all these things to try and form an enmity between us and what existed. But in order to know how to deal with how the last 50 years of this country have been, we have to understand the last 70 years altogether. We have to add the other 20 years that came prior to that in order to better have a grasp of what existed to lead us to the circumstances we find ourselves in today because I, I i literally feel even in some of the moves that are being made to tackle the coronavirus i feel like some of the information we're being given is in a way my conspiracy bag starts shaking and i start looking inside it and seeing what's in there because take it for example the current situation where we're being told they encourage us to not just use liquid cash as far as having cash withdrawals to do trade maybe you could use your uh mobile money to make trades but you we do know who's one of the biggest shareholders of these mobile banking companies and come on to a certain extent i feel the cash system has always worked in advantage of the people because you can't really tell how much has been moving at a certain time and i always do like fighting for the little guy even though i make sure i pick my taxes and make sure my tax returns are taken care of early enough and seeing to what extent the taxpayers being dug into and a lot is being taken from his pocket even way before he even starts doing anything and the taxes have even increased on some of the things we use for everyday life fear tactics work to the advantage of the sitting power because the sitting power then decides to make us be distracted by what could be a global pandemic and then we forget that oh this is just another ploy they're going to use not only to scare us but to take more money out of our pockets yet the economy is suffering so bad we don't have a way to make the money for them to actually tax in the first place and this even leads back to the whole idea of colonialism at the time because i remember reading another book that the idea of colonialism was to make sure that when the leaders who came from the british empire left the people who came from uh 
high positions in that which was the system that existed during colonialism would then sit at the top and continue with the status quo but just make sure that individuals are fed not communities but individuals it's never about the tribe it's about the person from that tribe and i, I hope that didn't come off the wrong way all i'm saying is the cult of personality exists and by me rediscovering the ideals of how it could have been to be a person who's disenfranchised in his own motherland and then put in what could potentially potentially be seen as gulags and and death camps and then now you're trying to make this person say like hey let's wipe the slate clean let's all act like nothing happened it's hard to go past that and i feel in a great way it's important for peace and reconciliation talks to be had countrywide on a community level in order for us to truly move forward and really get rid of that which was given to us as a form of hatred because division is very easy to use and market to your advantage so that you can control an entire territory because as long as people are fragmented they won't unify to fight against a sitting power that's above you and for us it's different now because it's now the unified powers are individuals who think that they they are the key holders and king makers and none of us is worthy of positions of strength As I continue going through this book I'm probably going to come back and revisit this again but for now I do suggest that you go through episode 123 again if you want to and then come back to this one but thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the to the podcast and thank you for supporting the podcast I know this was a long one but because the train of thought is so widespread I'm running out of ways to chop it up and keep it dragging and also I just want to have this thing take its life and finally move to another level of growth and i know if i ever revisit this again i'll probably have even better solutions of how to move forward but for now do say it with me be caesar or be nothing at all thank you for listening to this episode and thank you for supporting the podcast we're about to hit 2000 lessons worldwide and my voice may not say it but i'm excited until next time uno